I think that's the sum of the whole Bible, if you will, just to live a life of fortitude. And the book of Acts could be called the book of fortitude. Disciples living their lives, loving God, loving others, loving themselves, and loving God's creation. And so we're in chapter 14, verse 8, and it says, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth, and had never walked. Have you heard that story before in the Bible? <clears throat> Have you heard the story of somebody that was lame, lame from birth, and was crippled, and was just kind of sitting around? Anybody heard that story before? Where was it? The pool, that's right. That's one story, right? Pool of Bethesda, right? That's one. Outside the temple, that was two, right? Right? And so where do we find the one outside the temple? It was the book of Acts. Very good. Very good. It's the book of Acts, right? Uh, Acts chapter 3. Remember, Peter and John were going up to the temple and the guy had been sitting there. So we find stories in the Bible of people who couldn't walk who can walk. And that's a good thing. All of us start out spiritually that way, don't we? Let's be honest. We start out as babies in Christ. We really can't walk in the spirit. We don't understand what it means. But because we're discipled, someone comes and disciples us, so we disciple ourselves, we learn to walk. We learn to get up and walk. And so there's some, there's some deeper truths when we find stories like this other than just a man that couldn't walk. It's that spiritually we all need to learn to walk and that God wants to help us with that. And there are others who can help us. And so he was sitting there and he listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, what does that mean? He saw that he had faith to be healed. He couldn't walk, but he kept listening to Paul. And apparently Paul was saying something to him that inspired him to have a little faith. What do you think Paul was talking about? Was, tall, was Paul talking about the politics of the day? Was he talking about get out the vote, right? Vote for this person, that person, and all that. Was he, was he doing that? Was he talking about the latest uh, person on uh, Instagram or YouTube? What, was he talking about that? Was he talking about his favorite ball team? What was he talking about that was so inspiring? Oh, really? Jesus. Jesus. I watched the last quarter of a game last night where... The Ohio State Buckeyes got shellacked by the Purdue Boilermakers, right? Did anybody see that beside me? Okay, two people here, the rest of you don't want to admit it. I got it. Yeah. It's a really great, really great last quarter. But they had this young man there that uh, was sick, uh, a fan, and uh, cancer, and he'd been battling it for a while. <clears throat> and they were interviewing him because he was a huge Purdue Boilermaker fan. And for him, it was all about the game. He just wanted to see Purdue beat Ohio State. And they did. They, they thumped them pretty good. And they were interviewing this man on the sidelines, this young man on the sidelines. And, and all he could talk about was, was football. And I'm sitting there praying for him to be healed while he's talking about football. And I hope that he does get healed. I hope in the name of Jesus he gets healed. But Paul wasn't talking about football. That wasn't his focus. He was talking about Jesus. And somehow Paul had been telling the stories of Jesus. Now, did Jesus, did, did Paul like Jesus to begin with? 
He, he pursued Christians and persecuted them and had them killed, right? Stephen, right? So Paul was not a fan of Jesus in the beginning, but now Paul was a fan of Jesus. And not just a fan, he was a follower of Jesus. And not just a follower, he was a, a disciple of Jesus. And as he talked more and more about Jesus, this man began to have more faith. And here's the problem I see with us in the world where sickness is concerned. We, we say we wish people would get healed and they don't get healed and we, we pray for them privately or whatever. I, I think maybe if we talked about Jesus a little bit more, we might see a few more healings. I think we talk about the doctors and it's okay to talk about a doctor. I think we talk about medicine. It's okay to talk about that. It's okay to talk about cures. Those are great things to talk about. But what if we just spend a little more time talking about Jesus? Maybe we would find that somebody would have an, a little more faith to be healed, right? Maybe not always, but maybe a few more than what we're seeing now. Something happened when Paul talked about Jesus. And what happened was it gave that man enough faith to receive Jesus and to be healed from his infirmity. Hey, what do you know about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? If I ask you to stand up right now, right now in this moment, all of you slinking down your seats, I can see you. But if I ask you to stand up right now and talk for five minutes about Jesus, could you do it? If I ask you to tell me ten things about Jesus that you remember from reading the stories, could you tell me ten things? Could you tell me five things? Could you tell me one thing? I think our conversation needs to be more about Jesus and less about the world. And perhaps we'll see more faith rise up in people to do all kinds of things, not just be healed, but to be evangelist and change the world. Well, Paul looked directly at him, which is what Peter and John did. Remember that story in Acts chapter 3? The man stand there asking for an offering. And it says, the Bible says, and they looked at him, they said, look at us. Because the man had his head down. Can you give me an offering? The man said, look at me. And he looked him in the eyes. And I've told you this before. When you're talking to somebody and you're going to tell them about Jesus, look him in the eye. Don't, don't look so much. Look him in the eye. When you're checking out, right, and the person says, have a nice day, square up with them. Look him in the eye and say, call him by their name, Caleb. I hope you have a great day too. Hey, and by the way, God wants me to tell you that you're his favorite. Just look them straight in the eye and tell them that. Nobody does that in the checkout line. Everybody needs that. Square up with somebody. Look them in the face. Tell them how much God loves them. And so that's what he did. He looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. And that the man jumped up and began to walk. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they shouted uh, <clears throat> in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the King James, it might say, if you had that version, it might say Jupiter and Mercury. But uh, Zeus and Jupiter meant the same thing, just one was Greek and so forth and so on. It said the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, here's a heathen culture 
that worshipped false gods. They had built temples to these false gods, to Jupiter and Mercury and so forth. And would go in and worship and make sacrifices at these temples. Paul gets up and starts talking about Jesus. And they said, this is the voice of a God speaking. This is the voice of a God speaking. Once again, who is Paul talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And these heathen realized something was different about this speech than any of the speech they'd ever heard. And when we go into the real world out here and start talking about Jesus, the real Jesus, not the religious Jesus, not the Jesus in the box, right? But the real Jesus, the heathen will listen because they've not heard that before. See, we, we're, living in a, we're living in an Acts chapter 14 culture, not an Acts chapter 2 culture. In Acts chapter 2, they talked about Jesus. The Holy Spirit came, you know, and they talked about Jesus. But they were talking to religious people. They were talking to Jewish people. That's mainly who heard that on the day of Pentecost was just Jewish religious people, people who already had a context of who God was and who the Holy Spirit was. It wasn't, it wasn't a foreign language to them. It's a foreign language today. Do you realize that 55% of the people that live in the immediate area around Nashville don't know Jesus? 1.8 million people around us. Half of them don't know Jesus, according to research. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. They have no religion. They don't believe in anything. That's what Acts chapter 14 is. These people... They just believe whatever they want to believe, don't believe anything. That's the world we live in. It's, it's a pre-Christian culture. Excuse me, a post-Christian culture in one sense. But it's also a pre-Christian culture in another sense. When's the last YouTube you saw of somebody talking about Jesus that had a million hits, right? We just don't talk about Jesus anymore. But these heathen heard him speaking. And they said, we need to make a sacrifice. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, you tear your clothes as a sign of mourning. Like, no, don't, don't do that. They rushed out shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, humans like you are. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without a testimony. <clears throat> he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. How about that? God fills even the heathen's hearts with joy. Why? Why? Because he loves them. Thank you. And he's trying to point them to him. Remember the first principle here at Rock Springs Church? God's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them they love them. He was trying to convince them they love them, so he gives them joy. He's saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm joy. Would you like some? Would you like more? Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing these animals on an altar to honor Paul and Barnabas. Well, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over religious people religious people show back up again follow them all the way from Antioch right follow them all the way there and won the crowd over 
And so they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. <clears throat> Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh. He talked about a thorn in the flesh. Matter of fact, the Bible says he prayed three times to have this thorn of the flesh removed. A lot of people think he, he had a problem with his eyesight because he mentioned something about eyesight at another entirely different passage which had nothing to do with the passage about his thorn. And he may have had this disease or that disease and they come up with everything. His thorn in the flesh, it plainly says a little later on, was a voice of Satan sent to heckle him. But who was the voice of Satan sent to heckle him? It was religious people, Pharisees, legalists, who came to taunt him everywhere he went to talk. He would show up at a speech, and people would stand up in the crowd and scream and yell at him. Does that sound familiar at all with this week and last week in politics? Somebody gets up to make a speech, Right? And, and people scream and holler and yell at him. They sit down to a meal and people come in and scream and holler and yell at him. I mean, it's, it's craziness what's happening. It happened with Paul. A messenger of Satan sent to heckle him every time he got up to give a speech. So here Paul is. He's giving a speech. He's talking about Jesus. The Jewish people come and say, hey, folks, this, this guy's a rascal. You need to get rid of him. You need to, you need to kill him. You need to kill him. That's a severe hate when you want somebody dead because they're talking about their particular God. In this case, he was talking about Jesus. And so they stoned him. I don't know if you understand what stoning is, but they take you and throw you in a pit and just start throwing rocks on top of you until you're completely covered with rocks. And at that point, they assume you're dead. Rocks, right? Not pebbles. This is not David slinging a stone at Goliath. This is rocks. And here in Middle Tennessee, there's plenty of rocks for you to look at and consider. And so the mob rushed and they, and they stoned him. And so after the mob left, the disciples went and gathered around Paul, made a circle around him. What were they doing? I suppose they were praying. It's not recorded, but that's my guess. They would gather around praying. That's why we like to gather around people here at Rock Springs Church and pray for them. Right there in the Bible. They had faith not only, to, not only to see a man get up and walk. They had faith to raise somebody from the dead. Because he was presumed dead. We don't know exactly if he was dead. Or almost dead. Right? You know there's a difference, right? Between mostly dead and all dead. That's right. If you know the movie. Princess Bride, you know what I'm saying there, right? It will take a miracle. Okay, I'll stop. I could quote the rest of it. Paul was raised up from whatever level of death he was at. Went back into town. I wonder what they said when they saw him walk back into town. I wonder what he said when they saw him walk back into town. I wonder if they ran, the cowards that they were. I want you to know, so the disciples, 
And I'm going to play out this word in just a moment. The disciples continue to be disciples. Deeply committed to Jesus Christ. Well, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. That's a good thing for all of us to do, to strengthen and encourage one another. That's why we gather. That's really why we gather. It's not to hear sermon from a preacher or sing songs. Those things are great. But the reason we gather is so we can encourage one another. Anybody here not need any encouragement today for any area of your life? Anybody good? Completely all good? Anybody? Okay, Gary raised his hand. He's all good. So nobody talked to Gary after church. (laughs) Nobody encouraged Gary. We, We all need that from time to time, don't we? That's why we gather. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you listen to modern preaching today, you're going to hear that that God's a good, good father and everything's going to be just right. You're never going to have a problem if you listen to modern preaching today. That if you've got a problem, then, oh, you know, boy, what, what did you do wrong? You know, it's, look, as Christians, we're going to go through hardships. You talk about Jesus to the world, some of them are going to stone you. Some form or other, they're going to. You post a scripture on Facebook and, man, they're going to come right back at you. Why are you posting that scripture? They'll call you every name in the book. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We don't want to hear that kind of sermon. We don't want to hear about taking up your cross. We don't hear about suffering with Jesus. Those are things we just want to ignore. But listen, to be a Christian, sometimes... Levels of discipleship bring certain things with them. And the more you want to be a disciple of Christ, not a follower, the more you want to be a disciple of Christ, the more things you're going to encounter to be like Christ. So you're going to have some hardships in your life. Did Jesus have any hardships in his life? You know, he he didn't own anything. He didn't own a house or a donkey or a camelac. He didn't own anything, right? Everything he had, somebody else gave him. We think about hardships being our remote control won't work on our TV. Where are the batteries? Right? We call 911. I can't find my batteries. My remote won't work. You know, people do that, don't you? Right? Yeah. You've seen it too, haven't you? See, Matthew's seen that. That's right. Where's my happy meal? Call 911 for the happy meal. You're right, Matthew. You know, if we're going to be like Christ, we have to walk the path of Christ. If we want to be a disciple, we have to walk the, the path of the disciple. Everything's not going to be perfect. Life happens. It's what we do when life happens that makes a difference. Cry out to Jesus. We trust him. We Continue to worship him. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul or Barnabas appointed elders uh, for them in every church. Um, 
Now, there's a, some confusion about elders. A lot of churches today have gone to appointing elders to oversee their church. And certainly elders are mentioned several times in the scripture. That's a good thing. But do you know what the root of the word elder is? All the way back into the Hebrew, not, not the New Testament, but the Old Testament Hebrew. It comes from the word that we get mighty man of valor or courage. We, we've taken it today to be an elder who oversees a church and makes sure everything runs right. You know, maybe does a little pastoring and helping people. But its original meaning was mighty men of valor. Moses had 70 elders, perhaps 72 depending on that number, but 70 elders. For a million people. Now, did he need nice, pleasant pastoral elders over a million people that were griping and complaining about everything? Or did he need mighty men of valor? Which one did he need? Right? And do you know in Proverbs chapter 31 that this is really going, you ready for this? You know, Proverbs chapter 31, the last part of that chapter, is about the noble wife, the, the, the wonderful, amazing wife that can do anything, right? That story. The word for her is the same word as elder in the Hebrew. Mighty woman of valor. Same word. Same word. We, we need mighty men of valor and mighty women of valor who carry a spiritual machete wherever they go. I have a machete. I have a good friend that has one. And he will tell you about it if you ask him. Spiritual machete. Spiritual sword. They appointed mighty men of valor to oversee what was going on. Why? Because you got these religious Pharisees coming from Antioch to dispute Christians, right? They needed somebody to stand up to their face and say, what are you doing? What right do you have to come and pour your religious legalism on us? Get out of here. They needed spiritual men and women of valor to stand up to the enemy of our soul and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You have no part of this. That's what they needed. That's why they appointed them. They weren't appointing nice, friendly people who greet you when you walk into the store. And with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. From Ataliah, they sailed back to Antioch, which is where they came from. Remember chapter 13, they were called out. They went back where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They completed their mission trip. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This simply said, look, this is what God did through us. Every day when you wake up, God wants to do something through you either for yourself or for someone else. To love God, love yourself, love others, love creation. God wants to work through you. Let me talk about creation for a minute. I found this out this week. 
probably all of you already knew this before I did, right? All of you knew this before I did. But you know, we have a recycling center here, right off of Weekly Lane, right? And you take your plastic and your cardboard and your glass and anything else, and there's certain bins to put everything in, right? And so I was driving up there to recycle, to take some stuff in there, and I've got some cardboard boxes, stuff that I'm going to dump in the cardboard thing, and a bag of trash I'm going to put on the other side. And the sign says, no pizza boxes in the cardboard bin. I've seen that sign a lot, but I've never understood. It's cardboard. Why can't you put it in the cardboard bin? So the gentleman, y'all are so smart. See, I told you all, all y'all know this but me. And so the guy standing there, I said, look, I just got to know. Why, why can't you put the, greasy bo- put the pizza box in there with it? He said, well, here's what happens. When they take the cardboard, they soak it in water, right? to get it to melt down, to make a mush out of it, to then roll cardboard back out. That's how it's made. It's pulp. He said, but when you put a pizza box in there with all the grease in there, it messes up the water. And the cardboard won't do right. And they have to throw it away. I did not know that. So if we're going to love creation, don't put your pizza box in the cardboard bin. Put it in the trash bin. Second thing I learned at the dump this week, I'm sure all of you knew this, but I've got my my little laundry basket, right, full of plastic bottles, right, <coughs> milk bottles and stuff in there. And I walk up there and I dump it in the bin and go back to my truck. Been doing this for a long time. But I've noticed that there's a sign there that says no trash bags or grocery bags, you know, the little plastic bags. And, and so the guy's standing there. And I said, I just got to ask you a question. He's fishing trash bags full of trash bags inside of trash bags, out of the plastic bin, and put them in a, a trash can. I said, I just got to ask you, uh, why can't you put plastic bags in the plastic bin? He said, here's why. He said, when it gets full, <clears throat> the recycling center manager will come, at, come down here, open all the doors up, take a stick and stir in there. If he sees any trash bags or grocery bags in there, he just closes the bin up and says, we won't take it. 75%, this guy told me, of all the trash bins full of plastic get rejected by the recycling company and get sent to the dump. Isn't that something? I had no idea. So, when you go to the, tra- the trash dump, don't put your stuff in plastic bags. Get your little laundry basket, fill it full, dump everything in, take it back to your truck. Isn't that crazy? 75%. We thought we were doing good, right? It's all going to the dump anyway, 75% of it. Great question, Heather. The reason you can't is because the process to recycle plastic bags is different from, re- from uh, reusing the, uh, the bags you get at the grocery store or trash bags. It, it, it won't work in their, in their system. And I guess there's nobody there at the plant that can pick out this, that, or the other. Had to pay somebody to do it, and it's not cost effective. Yeah, it's a different type of plastic. All made from oil, but a different type of plastic. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's recycled a whole different way. So if we're going to love creation, let's, let's work at that. 
And if you walk up to the bin and scoop it out, well, the guy standing there will be happy if you reach in there and grab a trash bag and put it in a trash can, right? Anyway, I digress. That was a good story. I wanted to share that this week. I know. A lesson how to love creation, right? So here, let me, let me wrap this up. Here, here's my takeaway from this. There are fans of Jesus. There are followers of Jesus. And then there are disciples of Jesus. And, you know, we've, we've been taught to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that's great. Here's the thing. I'm a fully devoted follower of a particular football team. And I won't mention their names, but I would just simply say go dogs, right? And I, they didn't lose this week. They didn't win this week because they didn't play this week. That's great. I didn't, have a, I didn't have an emotional breakdown. I'm a devoted follower of the dogs, right? I've even been in the stands in between the hedges, right, in Georgia, watching the game. Man, I'm a big follower. But I've never taken this skinny body down that field and put a helmet on and pads on and played the game. Ever. I would be crushed. One play, four seconds, I'd be dead. They'd be carting me off, right? I went out for football in the seventh grade, and the coach just laughed me right off the field. <laughs> he said, boy, you'll be killed in the first play. <laughs> Go home. So I did. The wise coach. We have people who follow on Instagram. So many followers. I, I, I follow so-and-so on Instagram. I follow so-and-so on Twitter. I follow so-and-so on YouTube. We, we have followers everywhere. And what we wind up with is a stadium full of followers, 100,000 followers, in desperate need of exercise, and 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest. Right? The guys on the field are real disciples. They're in the trenches. Those of us up in, in the stands just having a good time. And so I want to challenge us to not just be fans or followers of Jesus. It's real easy to follow Jesus from afar. Being a disciple means that maybe we have to go through hardships or suffering or serving or laying on our face and praying. Here's the contrast. Followers look for signs and wonders. Disciples look for Jesus. Jesus looked at the people around and said, why do you always ask for a sign or a wonder? When I'm the sign. I'm the wonder. I'm the miracle. I'm the Messiah right in front of you. Followers always want to be fed. Disciples feed themselves. Well, I'm leaving that church. Brother Jim just doesn't feed me. When my children were old enough, we taught them to feed themselves. And they've done a pretty good job of it. They learned that one pretty quick. Third thing, followers run from persecution. Disciples rebuke it. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Put their hand up. No, you're not coming to my house. You're not coming in my body. You're not coming in my mind. I, I rebuke that. Right? You don't run from it because if you start running from it, it's just going to follow you. 
Whatever it is that's been chasing you, just turn around, put your hand up, say, stop. You shall not pass. Drive your sword in the ground. You know the movie, don't you? Fourth thing. Followers complain about hardships. My remote control won't work. This seat is too hard in the stadium here. Why don't they pad those things? Right? Disciples rejoice in hardship. Hey, I've been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. It's going to be a great day today. Right? I count it all joy. Followers kill prophets and preachers because they're telling the truth. Disciples honor prophets and preachers because they tell the truth. The followers of the Jewish people in the Jewish nation, they, they kill the prophets and the preachers because they were telling the truth. But they were just followers of God. They weren't true disciples of God. They were following the law, the letter of the law, not the heart and the intent of the God who gave the law. Followers abandon Jesus when he's on the cross. Disciples pick up their cross with Jesus. Follow him. Followers give up when they're knocked down. However, disciples get right back up and keep on preaching. Paul got knocked down. He got the life beat out of him. He just got right back up. Sometimes you just have to get back up. When life comes at you hard, and it does for all of us of any age now, when it comes at you, you just have to get back up. Alarm clock goes off, five in the morning, six in the morning, whenever your clock goes off, you just get back up. And you say, Satan, you will not have this day. But Jesus, I commit this whole day to you. I commit, and I want your very best for me today. Whatever that is, I want it. I really want it today. I want your absolute best for me today. Whatever that looks like, I want that. You just get back up. You get back up. You know, there are 40 billion stars in the Triangulum Galaxy. <clears throat> 40 billion. <clears throat> there are 100 billion stars in our Milky Way Galaxy. There are one trillion stars in the Andromeda galaxy. One trillion stars in the Andromeda galaxy. Our best guess is there are 200 trillion galaxies. And Jesus came to earth for us. For the third rock from the sun. He came down on the cross for us. In the middle of all that, hundreds of trillions of stars and planets throughout the cosmos. And he showed up on earth and said, Matthew, I love you. Mary, I love you. Jackie, I love you. He showed up and just said, I love you. Would you be my disciple? Would you be my disciple? Let's pray.